We are launching into the Old Testament. Yeah, I mean, I love the Old Testament. And I can see by some of your expressions, you know, you're thinking, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> the Old Testament, I mean, we're going to be talking about the book of Haggai. And you may be thinking, what can a guy that lived in 520 B.C. have in common with me? What can I learn from a prophet who prophesied in Jerusalem that long ago? And so <clears throat> what I want to do is begin by just making a couple introductory remarks. And, and Donnie did a great job of kind of giving us the 10,000-foot flyover of prophetic ministry a couple weeks ago. But what I want to talk about before we begin Haggai is this question. How can this relate to me? I mean, Jesus came, the New Testament. Why are we going back and studying the book of Haggai? Do you know that prophetic ministry has been at the core of God's dealing with his people since the very beginning and all the way to the end of Scripture. Prophetic ministry is of huge importance to God. Think about it. Abraham was called, is called a prophet in the Bible, but Moses, sort of the template of what a prophet is, Moses came along. After Moses, people like Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, and then the guys that wrote the major prophetic books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all at different times throughout Israel's history. And then the minor prophets, we call them minor because the, the work is a little bit shorter. Their writings are a little bit shorter. People like Haggai. And then the Old Testament closes with the book of Malachi. And you say, okay, that prophetic thing is sort of over. It was nice while it lasted. No? How about John the Baptist? The New Testament begins with a prophet that Jesus said, hey, no prophet has arisen that's greater than John. So how important is that? And then Jesus himself had a prophetic ministry. Because remember when he was rejected in his own hometown, he said, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. He was talking about himself. So clearly Jesus saw that he had a prophetic ministry. And then we go to Paul. And Paul writes about the gift of prophecy and how important that is to the church. Do we really get that? Do we really understand what that is? Are we practicing that? You know, some people say, well, prophecy is the same thing as what I'm doing right now, preaching. Is it? And then the book of Revelation. Wow, the scripture closes with this massive, cataclysmic, prophetic book. So what I'm saying is that God, in his thinking, in how he deals with humanity, how he deals especially with his people, the prophetic voice, the prophetic ministry is so important. Well, shouldn't we seek to understand that? What better way can we understand prophetic ministry than going into the Old Testament? There's tons of information about what the prophets did, how God used them, how they thought, how they were used. Shouldn't that inform our understanding of prophecy today? 
Is it something we should be paying attention to? Well, I'd like to go back to the Old Testament and let's work on that a little bit and figure that out together and think about the principles of what God did through the prophets. So, as we, if you've read the prophetic books at all, you know there's a little problem with that. Some of the prophetic books can be very, very complex and kind of confusing, like, oh, okay, I'm a little lost here. What's happening in this passage? So I'm going to start by giving you two words this, in this, for this Haggai chapter 1, but there are two words that are very helpful in understanding prophecy in general. It's like pegs or hooks to hang things on so we can kind of sort this out in our minds. And these are not from me. These are from an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann. I found his work to be very, very helpful in helping me understand the prophetic ministry. So, so these words are from him. So the first word to remember about the function of a prophet is the word criticism. Criticism. The prophet comes and God sends, sends him to criticize because what's happening is there's something that's established that's wrong. And the prophet comes up against that established wrong. Almost every time you can see this, for example, Moses. What was Moses sent up against? Egypt, right? The Egyptian empire, this empire where Pharaoh said, I am all powerful. The gods of Egypt are all powerful. I have the right to enslave and oppress anybody I want. And God sends Moses in against that. And guess what? The lie was exposed. It's a lie. Pharaoh was not all-powerful. The gods of Egypt were defeated by the one true and living God. And so Moses came in and this prophetic criticism is coming against, the, in this case with Moses, the empire. But throughout history, the prophets are coming against ways of thinking that are wrong. So think about that word criticism. That's number one peg that we have for today. The second word is energizing. So we have criticizing and energizing. Where, what, it, what is energizing about? Well, you can see in the prophetic ministry, the prophetic books, that there is a radically new vision from God. And this vision is outside the box. This vision isn't taken from something else. So in the case back to Moses, what was the energizing part of that story. The creation of a brand new nation. There was a, 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 a tribe of slaves in Egypt and God had something radically new in his mind, something outside the box, and he delivered this people miraculously and then he formed a nation and he set up laws and he set up a culture. Israel is the only nation on earth whose culture has been set and influenced by God himself. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. So criticizing and energizing, and we're going to see this in Haggai chapter 1. Both of these elements are, are going to be there, but I think that it will help you in general to understand the prophetic ministry. So on to Haggai chapter 1. What is Haggai about? Wake up call. 
That's what it is. Haggai, his message was a wake-up call. And we'll see that. So what's the timeline? When was this guy prophesying and for how long and stuff? Well, I've got a few bullet points on the timeline. In 586 B.C., the final fall of Jerusalem happened. The temple was destroyed, and all the rest of the people, except for a few very, very poor people, were exiled. So they're all taken to Babylon. Uh, so 586 is an important date. 47 years later, in 539, the Persians defeat Babylon. So this nation that had taken over uh, Israel gets defeated, and a person named Cyrus comes into power, and he makes this amazing decree. We're going to look at it in a minute. Cyrus's decree saying the temple needs to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. So that's 539. So then 538, 42,000 Jewish people go back from Babylon to Jerusalem. The leaders, Zerubbabel, who's a descendant of David, he's a civic leader, and then Joshua, the high priest, was the religious leader. So that's in 538. Drop then down to 520. So 18 years later, this is the time that Haggai is making his prophecy. And these two leaders are still there. Let's take, a, let's take a look at this decree of Cyrus. Remember, this is a pagan king. He's a Persian guy. And this is what he says in the decree. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may God, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So this is a remarkable decree, and we don't have time to go into how this all happened, but this is a decree, and what is the focus of it? What is the focus of what Cyrus is saying? It's the temple, right? The temple is on Cyrus's mind. He says, God has appointed me to build him a house, to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. So after this decree, these two leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, lead the people back from Babylon to Jerusalem, and they begin working on the temple. And, you know, it's interesting in the book of Ezra, when they begin to work on the temple, this is in 538, 537 B.C., there is this sound of weeping and a sound of shouting for joy. The old people were weeping because they remembered the old temple. And the young people were shouting for joy, you know, Sort of like us here, you know? The older people are like, oh, the building on Timberlake Road, and they're weeping. And the young people are like, hey, it's cool. We're in a middle school. This is great. You know, this is awesome. So we got the same thing going on here. But anyway, they started to rebuild the temple, and there was severe opposition. And the construction got stopped. So the temple didn't get rebuilt. 539, this decree comes out. The temple does not get rebuilt. So now it's 520. 
It's 19 years after the decree. And this is Haggai is the beginning of his prophecy. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So it's important to note, this is, this is the Lord's word. The word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai. So this isn't Haggai's opinion or his sort of political perspective. This is God's word through him to the people. And the word of God came to the leaders first, to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. And this is a frequent pattern in prophecy. You know, we're talking about looking at patterns that the prophets came to the leaders you know, yesterday, Sally and I were outside. She was feeding the chickens, and I was bringing a bag of chicken feed. And we're out there, and we hear this enormous noise, honking. It wasn't cars, it was geese. And we looked up, and there's this flock of geese flying right over our home. And she says, look at those geese. They are in absolutely perfect formation, a perfect V. And they were honking to beat the band, almost like they were sort of proud of this, right? Yeah, we're geese. We're doing our thing. And I said, well, small problem. They're going in the wrong direction. They were headed due north. It's October, you know. Geese are supposed to go south. And it just kind of reminded me of what happens to us as leaders sometimes. You know, there's this, okay, is everybody in the V? Like, are we all moving in the same direction? Is everybody honking and doing the thing they're supposed to do? Yeah, but you're going in the wrong direction. And this is prophetic ministry. This is the root of it, that sometimes we overlook the most important things that are right in front of our face in our ministry, in our personal lives, and the prophetic word comes in, it kind of exposes that. And the question is always for the leaders, how are they going to respond? You know, uh, Zerubbabel's great-grandfather, a guy named Jehoiakim, did not respond well. He responded horribly to prophets. He took Jeremiah's work. Jeremiah wrote everything down on a scroll. They handed it to the king. He takes it, cuts it up, throws it in the fire. Oops. That's a lot of stuff to throw in the fire. That's a lot of writing. And uh, another prophet, he didn't like what he said. He tracked the guy all the way down to Egypt, brought him back, and killed him. So the, the leaders don't always respond well to criticism. Okay, remember I said criticism is a part of the prophetic word. So here we go. This is, this is the prophecy from Haggai. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. So the people are saying, the time's not right. The time's not right. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So this, uh, Haggai uses this phrase, the Lord of hosts, throughout this book. And the Lord of hosts is a very powerful title for God. It suggests the head of heaven's armies. 
And I think that maybe the reason that he kept referring to God as the Lord of hosts is that the people were afraid. They were intimidated. When they were working on the temple, there was armed people that came up with swords and weapons and forced them to stop a long time ago, and they were still afraid. And they had been in captivity for all those years, and they were afraid. And Haggai says, no, this is a word from the Lord of heaven's armies. This is different. So the people, what's their mentality? Remember I said the prophetic criticism comes up against a mentality. Well, in this case, the mentality was, the time's not right. We're going to rebuild the temple later. We're going to do it later. The time isn't right. Sounds like rationalizing. You ever done that? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that later. I have. So this is a criticism that Haggai is bringing forward. He says, there's plenty of time for you to dwell in your beautiful houses, and this house lies desolate. So he's exposing, remember I said the criticism exposes underlying motives and things that are going on beneath the surface. And here, what is there? Well, there's selfishness. They're, 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 they're obsessed with their own homes. And remember that decree of Cyrus? He said, okay, the Jewish people, I want you to go back. And job number one is to rebuild this temple because this is what God wants. And it didn't get done and it didn't get done. And 19 years have passed. So this is a wake-up call. And these weren't bad people. These weren't evil people. Zerubbabel and Joshua were good leaders, but they were flying in the wrong direction. He goes on. He begins to reveal some of the consequences of this neglect. He says, you've sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. So their circumstances were being affected by this neglect, but they didn't really even realize it. He goes on, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. This is kind of painful. This is very direct. God is holding them accountable for some stuff here. He says, this is because of you. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. I don't think there's anything that's left out of that list. And so what is going on here, and this is another aspect of prophetic ministry, there's a revelation here. The people didn't realize that their neglect had consequences in what was going on in their lives. We think of prophetic ministry as, okay, it's all about the future. It's all about this stuff happening a long time from hence. But prophetic ministry, the most important thing about it is the now. The now. He's addressing circumstances that need, it, that need to change. By the way, I just want, I just want to address this. Um, 
does this statement here mean that whenever you're having trouble with your work or your finances that's not being productive or something like that, that this is a judgment of God on that? It's a really good question because sometimes people can misapply the scripture like that. No, that's not what that means. What it means is that in this particular case, the prophetic word was given to Haggai to let the people know the connection. That's why the prophetic word, part of the reason why the prophetic word was given. And the reason that we know that is that if you go to the book of Revelation, for example, Jesus talking to the churches, do you remember what he said to the church of Laodicea? He said, you say you're rich. You say you have need of nothing. But I say that you do not know that you're poor and miserable and wretched and blind and naked. So here in Laodicea, you have people who are wealthy and well-to-do and rich, and they're assuming, oh, we are under the blessing of God because we're rich. Ever hear that before, that theology? And Jesus says, no, no. You don't see the truth that you're poor and miserable and wretched and blind and naked. And so this is the way prophetic criticism works based upon the circumstance that is going on at the time and it's radical and it's deep and it can hurt. But it is never a guilt trip. You know, we human beings, we do the guilt trip thing with each other. Why do we do that? Well, guilt means that I want somebody else to suffer for something that I'm upset about that they did or that they said or whatever. And that's sort of the end of it. I just want them to feel bad, you know? I want them to know. God doesn't ever do that. Prophetic criticism can be painful and deep, but God's desire is not, oh, we won't want to feel bad. No, the desire is that we would recognize what's going on and be willing to, uh, to change and be willing to take steps. So we see that here. In the next verse, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains, bring wood, rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So God provides a path forward. This prophetic criticism comes and it's kind of painful. But then God says, okay, this is the action plan. This is what to do. So the prophetic word is corrective. It's radically corrective. It's not destructive. The end result is healing. The end result is joy. It reminds me a little bit of, let's say, a cancer surgeon. A cancer surgeon is not going to say, well, you know what, we're just going to go in and kind of get what we can. We're not going to look too close, you know. Um, we're just going to do our best. No, that surgeon has to be radically committed to getting everything that's possible to get. Not to hurt the person, but to help the person. And this is the same way with prophetic ministry because we have ideas, we have thoughts and beliefs sometimes that are not right, that are, that are incorrect, and they need, to be, they need to be removed so that we can receive, they, we need to get to the root of it, of the wrong way of thinking that we have. So that, so that God can build us up and, and show us his path. So that's what's happening here. And, and look what happens. This is amazing. 
verse 12, Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. How often has this happened in Israel's history? Where people responded well to the prophetic word. Where the leaders responded well. How did they respond? With obedience and with reverence toward the Lord. They realized, oh, we've been going in the wrong direction here in this area. And they acknowledged that. Sometimes we're prone when we hear a correction to get angry, to ignore it, to run. And then what is God's response to their obedience and reverence? Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So immediately, when the people had that response, God assures them of his presence. Their response just immediately changed the whole situation. And what can be better than God's presence? So, What happens next? The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked. They came and they worked on the house of the Lord, of the hosts, their God. Remember those two concepts at the beginning I talked about with prophecy, the criticizing, coming up against a wrong way of thinking, and then the energizing. Do you see the energizing here? There is a spiritual energy that comes from the Lord that is unlike anything that we can experience. Have you, have you experienced that? There, there is a sense of hard work and joy at the same time. That energy feels boundless. To be honest with you, I feel that here. I see everybody working and doing things, and it isn't like, oh, we got to move these chairs. Oh, we got to do this. There is a joy in that. And that is a spiritual energy. And this is, comes through responding well to the prophetic voice. So what happened? Do you know that they built that temple in four years? The temple was built in four years. This is the temple during Jesus' time where the disciples said, wow, Lord, look at this amazing temple, the incredible stones. That was done in four years because of the energy that came through the Spirit of God. So, What are some things that we can think about from this chapter one of Haggai? Some of the things that we've learned, some of the things that we've talked about, how can we sort of connect that with our experience and our lives? Well, number one, I think we need to figure out what is our temple. 
What is the thing that God has given us to do? In the case of the Jews at that time, the most important thing was, okay, if you're coming back to Jerusalem, job one is the temple needs to be rebuilt. We're in a different time. We're in a different place. What do you think is the, is the number one most important task that Jesus has given to us? Don't you think it's to make disciples? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Make disciples of all the nations. You know, it's possible for us in our current situation to say, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to have to kind of put all of our ministry to the community on, on hold because we don't have our building built yet. We're kind of in temporary circumstances. So let's put that on hold. No. The core thing that Jesus has for us to do is ministry. Ministry, making disciples. The, in, in our case, the building is secondary. I mean, I, we're, everybody's excited about that. I'm excited about that, but it's secondary. The most important thing for us is ministry. That's why we're here. We need to be immediately looking for opportunities, and we are. We see connections being made with the school and with others. That is why we're here. Number two, are we able to receive God's criticism and correction? I think that this is something that the elder team needs to always be aware of. Are we open to God's correction? Are we open to criticism that comes from the Lord to help us? You know, sometimes with all good intent and everything we're trying to do, you know, like the, fly, like the geese flying, you know, okay, is everybody back there? And we're not on the right course. We need to hear from God. We need to be open to that. We need to be correctable. And then in your personal life, are you open to the correction of the Lord? Are you open to him pointing something out that may be painful, that may not be easy? I think that in our midst, that prophetic gifting or prophetic ministry Sometimes, I don't know if you've experienced it, but sometimes somebody says something and it kind of cuts to the quick. It gets to the root of the matter. And sometimes it's a little bit painful. Maybe it's something that we're overlooking or not doing well. I think there's a place for that. I think there's a need for that in our body, that we would be open to correction as the Lord works through the gifting that we have. Number three, do we have a clear course of action? Is our course of action as a church related to our purpose? Why are we here? We can get so easily distracted with all the details and miss that are we really focused on why we are here? Making disciples. Reaching out to those that don't know Jesus. And then finally, are we operating with Holy Spirit energy? I think that there is an opportunity for us here. We're, we're in a new place. We're in a new environment. God's doing something new. We don't know exactly how he's going to use us in this new community. I think there's a chance for us to experience this Holy Spirit energy as a body at a different level than we've experienced it before. I think God is moving in our midst 
And we need to be looking for that and asking for that and seeking that energy. This is not something where we just need to be sort of grinding it out on our own. We need to be working with joy and with purpose in our minds and in our hearts. That spiritual energy coming from God doesn't have any boundaries. That's the beautiful thing. My energy has a lot of boundaries, especially as you get a little bit older, you find out you've got some boundaries on your energy. But God's energy is boundless. Look at what Jesus accomplished in just three years with the spiritual energy from the Holy Spirit. So this is the opportunity that we have as a community, I think, to experience this spiritual energy from God in accomplishing his purposes together. So we're going to continue uh, next week. Brian is going to go give a little bit of history of Ezra and Nehemiah, this whole time frame. And then the following week, I'm going to come back and we'll talk about the second chapter of Haggai. And there's some great stuff in there as well for us to, to learn from the Spirit of God. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word how we are instructed and taught, how we are corrected, Lord. And, and it isn't easy to be corrected. It hurts sometimes. But I pray that we would be open to the correction of your spirit. And most of all, Lord, I pray that we would allow a pathway for your divine energy to infuse our community and to see you accomplishing your kingdom purposes through us in ways that are outside the box, in ways that we probably could never possibly imagine. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.